this introduction to taking the party out of politics. This is the story of something you already know. No, no, really, you actually do. You might not have put the pieces together, not in exactly this way. Well, not yet, anyway. But this isn't the story of completely new stuff. It's just putting that stuff all together in a way which is easy to understand. Over this series, we're going to do three different things. First, we're going to start by looking at how things are supposed to work. Then we're going to move on to looking at some of the big reasons why things aren't working as well as they could do. Finally, we'll finish up by looking at three things which we could be doing to make things work better. But before we even get into that, let's just try to get a quick grip on what this is all about. Let's try to understand why this is important. And most importantly of all, let's not get worried about the fact that there are a few problems. Well, quite a lot of problems and not small ones, but let's not get worried about that. Because by understanding what the problems are, and by understanding why they are problems, we will actually be able to see how we might solve those problems, or at least how we might be able to work around them. So let's make a start. There are many problems with our political system and with the work with which our politicians are struggling within that political system. A quick example might be that we're trying to achieve too many things with just one vote every five years. First, we're trying to select a good local representative. And second, we're trying to select a party which seems as though it could govern competently. And third, we're trying to select a manifesto of what we want to happen. All three of these things with just one vote once every five years. That's a little bit like trying to cook dinner and play tennis and write a letter all at the same time one-handed. And then, well, then we kind of expect that everything will be all right in between times and that we won't have to think about it much. Or perhaps we expect not to have to think about it at all. Perhaps if we thought about things a bit more, we would make better choices when we do vote. And so we'd get better representatives who would do a better job on our behalf. But even if we did more thinking, we are still trying to achieve too many things with just one vote. There are many books which highlight the problems and challenges faced by our political system. In this podcast, we will refer to many of the best and most interesting ones, but we need to do more than just point out the problems. In almost every system in nature, the system learns from experience. This is called the theory of cybernetics. An animal learns that a certain other animal is dangerous or doesn't taste good, and it just isn't worth the risk in trying to attack or eat it, and so the animal tends to avoid the other animal. A child learns that the oven is hot, and so stops touching it. If you're sailing a boat towards a point on the horizon, but the wind and the tide are taking you off course, you adjust your course to compensate for the wind and tide, so you still end up at your destination. Cybernetics is about systems that produce feedback and about how that feedback is used to improve the ability of that system to achieve its goal. Yet it seems that when things don't work as well as they should do in our system of politics and government, we're not learning the lessons. Or if we are, then we're learning the wrong lessons. For example, if things don't improve, and if that means that voters become disillusioned with the system, they tend to stop voting or stop caring. 
Or let's take another example. If the system encourages a certain unhelpful type of behaviour on the part of our elected politicians, or perhaps even encourages only a certain type of person to even try to get elected, then we blame the politicians rather than to ask ourselves the question whether the system could be improved. That's just not good enough. If you're the sailor on the boat, you don't just give up on where you needed to get to and allow yourself to sail to wherever the wind and tide happen to be taking you. So when it comes to the systems which are organising the way our country works, why do we just put up with systems which aren't working? Improvements to the system or to the ways in which we use the existing system actually could make the system work better on our behalf. Perhaps some big changes, but perhaps also some small tweaks in the corners just to make things flow together better. At the very least, improvements could ensure that the system didn't encourage that unhelpful behaviour, at least not as much, or didn't disillusion voters, at least not so quickly. And that's important. Solutions as well as problems, or perhaps solutions which are refined by an understanding of the problems. There are lots of problems in the world, and lots of people are ready to point them out. And there are some serious problems with the way in which our political systems are not working. But we need to do more than just point out the problems. Rather than concentrating only on the problems, we also need to focus on identifying solutions. Of course, to identify the best solutions, we need to understand clearly and simply what the problems are and what causes the problems. Then we can move forward, thinking of ways to generate creative, constructive solutions, solutions which will help our political system to operate more smoothly, more effectively, and more in the interests of the people. We need solutions and ideas for people to rally around, not just a list of problems for people to rail against. So let's have a quick overview of the direction we'll be taking in this podcast. First, the problems, then the solutions once we properly understand the problems. There are three big problems and yes, a few other problems along the way, but three big problems are the ones that we're going to focus on here. We'll just pick up on the little ones as we go along. These big problems are first, the voters, second, the wicked issues, and third, scrutiny. And for each of these big problems, there are possible solutions. So, first of all, the voters. Yes, us, the voters. Essentially, we don't take our parts seriously enough. If we want our elected representatives to take us seriously, then we need to take our participation seriously. We live in a representative democracy. We'll look into that more later on, but the short version is that we elect people to do the decision-making on our behalf. However, if we never bother to engage with the issues at all, how are our elected representatives to know what we think about things? How are our elected representatives to take us seriously if we don't show that we care? And even if our elected representatives want to take us seriously, The political parties which organise the election of our elected representatives will just be encouraged to treat us like easily manipulated toddlers, waving an ice cream in front of us and switching the TV on, and expecting that to be enough. If our behaviour teaches our elected representatives and their political parties 
that we can be treated like toddlers, then that's what they will do. After all, why wouldn't they? We need to do more than just put a cross on a piece of paper once every five years. We need to keep up to date with at least a little bit of understanding of what is happening in our country. That doesn't mean being swayed by a couple of newspaper headlines. It means making a bit of an effort to understand, to take the time to think. Yes, sometimes that means being involved in protests or signing online petitions. But it also involves just being good citizens and not just passing the buck, voting once every five years, sitting back and expecting that everything will be okay. The second big issue is called the wicked issues. We've all come across a wicked problem. A wicked problem is one that is difficult to solve. It's possible to solve it, but solving it for the long term might involve some difficult choices in the short term. A little bit of a challenge, perhaps a little bit of sacrifice in the short term for longer term gain. Perhaps you've come across a wicked problem in business or at work. Perhaps even the best, most publicly minded business might be wondering about whether there are ways in which that business can be more socially responsible or more environmentally responsible or both and still stay in business. Perhaps you've come across a wicked problem in your personal life, perhaps wondering about the right balance of something, whether that's calories or socialising. It would be nice and easy to stay on the sofa, to watch another episode of your box set and to have another chocolate biscuit. And it might be cold outside. But if your goal is to get fit, then do you take the easy option now or do you face something you don't like the thought of now in return for feeling better about yourself, but also in return for actually being healthier in the future? In politics, a wicked problem is referred to as a wicked issue. The wicked issues are the things which are really important, but which don't get dealt with. Climate change, care for the elderly, saving for our retirement, some of us might be getting a bit better at saving for our retirements, but there are plenty of other things which we still aren't dealing with properly. The wicked issues don't get dealt with because the short term challenges are things which our elected representatives believe will mean that they won't get re-elected. If you're trying to diet and you're thinking about the pizza in the fridge, then the person who tells you that you can't have that pizza is not going to be your favourite person in the world at that moment. Perhaps later, when the diet has worked, but not at the time. Our elected representatives are afraid that we won't re-elect the people who tell us that we can't have the pizza, or that we won't re-elect the people who tell us that we have to pay more taxes if we want better health care, or that we won't re-elect the people who tell us that we have to make changes in the way in which we live if we want to stop climate change getting any worse. These are all examples of wicked issues. Well, not the pizza. That's down to you and the good friend who is trying to help you. But you see where we're going with this. If you have the pizza today, the diet is only going to get more difficult tomorrow. We aren't dealing with the wicked issues. And so they're just getting more challenging to deal with. But our elected representatives don't have the courage or perhaps we don't give them the courage to deal with the wicked issues. The third big issue is scrutiny. The scrutiny and detailed development and refinement of laws and regulations is the opportunity to ensure that these laws and regulations, first, are well thought through, 
Second, that there has been appropriate consultation with those who are going to be affected. And the stress is on the word appropriate, not just a show of consultation. Third, that a consensus has been built as far as possible across all parties and all stakeholders. And fourth, that the implications and the details of the implementation have all been fully considered and that those considerations have been taken seriously and that those considerations have been acted upon, not just noted and then ignored. Scrutiny of legislation is the opportunity to improve and to refine the laws which affect how our country works and which affect all of our lives. However, the way in which scrutiny of legislation by Parliament works, or in fact doesn't work well enough at the moment, means that laws and regulations are not sufficiently well scrutinised, refined and improved. Of course, it's not possible to foresee everything. Genuine mistakes are made, sometimes. But many of the laws and regulations which have been brought in by governments over recent decades have had unintended but disastrous consequences. And the key point is that many of these consequences could have been foreseen, particularly if the legislation had been properly thought through, properly scrutinised before it was brought in. Disastrous consequences which could have been foreseen make them blunders, not just mistakes. The ways that the system works at the moment means that the government, what we call the executive, has so much power that new initiatives can be forced through nodded through by the rubber stamping of yes men from the government's own party while any real attempts to make constructive criticisms are dismissed along with a snowstorm of party political point scoring from the opposition parties. It's not that there is no scrutiny but the scrutiny which does take place is far too often inadequate, insufficient or simply ignored and bypassed. As a result there's no incentive for individual MPs to focus on good scrutiny. Rather, the system encourages MPs to aim simply at becoming part of the executive, to have their opportunity to make their mark. It's not acceptable that the process of scrutiny has simply become either a training ground for MPs to grasp at an opportunity for executive power, an opportunity to score meaningless party political points, or a spineless rubber stamping of existing executive power. How do we ensure that the scrutiny of our laws, regulations and policies is carried out properly to ensure that what we get are good laws, good regulations and good policies which fulfil their objectives and which do not have unintended but foreseeable consequences. Well, by separating the scrutiny process a bit more from party politics. If party politics has a foot both in the executive, the government, the lawmakers, and the legislative, parliament, the law checkers, then perhaps the solution is to separate at least part of that process from our political parties. The suggestion we will consider here is the idea that rather than electing politicians to the scrutiny process, and they can still be elected to be local representatives to form the government and the opposition and to call the government to account, perhaps we should select members of the public, like a sort of jury service, from a pool of eligible candidates. And that brings us to the title of this podcast, Taking the Party Out of Politics. We haven't got there yet. There's a lot of thinking, a lot of understanding, a lot of ground to cover before we do get there. But perhaps, just perhaps, that's where we need to be 
or at least perhaps it's part of where we need to be. Or at the very least, the process of thinking about whether it is part of where we need to be, that process of thinking about it all, perhaps that process, perhaps that thinking is where we need to be. We might get there and still not be quite sure if taking the party out of politics is the right solution. Perhaps we will even have new ideas along the way. Perhaps you will want to make suggestions which we can include, new ideas which we can all consider together. I'm pretty sure that by the time we get to the end, everyone will be clear as to at least some of the reasons why our political systems aren't working as well as they should do. And if we have found some new ideas together, then that's great. The final point to raise here in the introduction is to answer the question, why should you care about this? This is an excellent question. I thank you for bringing it up. After all, if you're going to listen to all of these podcasts, that's going to involve several hours of your time. Why should you bother? Of course, I think that it's interesting in and of itself. I would do, wouldn't I? And well, I listen to podcasts while I'm traveling or fixing the guttering or mowing the lawn. I have some nice noise cancelling headphones since you ask. So I don't actually think of learning new stuff through podcasts as a cost of my time. It's more a bonus way of learning new stuff and keeping my brain active whilst doing other stuff, which otherwise might be a bit boring. However, there are still choices in the podcasts which you might listen to. Why this one and not a different one? Well, by way of explanation, let me read you part of a pre-podcast technology. It's the introduction to a book, and the book is called Books, A Living History. Yes, it's a book about books, but it's also about reading books because it's really about information and understanding. So this is the quote. Generalized literacy always had plenty of opponents. Conservative elites feared that educated peasants would acquire dangerous ideas and might have the means and desire to abandon their lives of backbreaking work in the countryside to find alternative employment in the city. In the 18th century, some American colonies banned teaching writing to black slaves after the American Revolution. The southern states banned teaching slaves to read as well. The fear was that making reading and writing more accessible might lead to ideological challenges and possibly rebellion. Upheavals such as the English Civil War of the 1640s and the French Revolution of 1789 reinforced the upper class fear of literacy. Members of the owning class preferred employees who neither asked questions nor developed unsuitable ambitions for social promotion. That's the end of the quote. Now, this podcast is not encouraging rebellion. But it is encouraging us all to ask questions and to think about other ways in which things could be done. And there are conservative elites. Now, that's conservative in the sense of people who don't want things to change, not necessarily members of the conservative political party. There are conservative elites who might want to resist changing things. After all, people who are managing to make a more or less successful path through the current system might well think that the current system is not too bad but that doesn't mean that it's as good as it could be. This podcast is not about encouraging medieval peasants to find alternative employment, but it is thinking about ideas which might make us want to find alternative ways of getting stuff done. Ideological challenges are best founded on a clear understanding 
of how things are supposed to work and why they're not working. Then we can seek out new possible ways, possible alternative ways of getting stuff done more effectively. So I hope you will continue to listen. And when the time comes, I hope you will use your understanding of how things are supposed to work and why they're currently not working to share your ideas of how we could develop possible new ways, possible alternative ways of getting stuff done more effectively. So where do we go from here? There will be three sections to this podcast, or if you like, three series. In this, the first series, we will look at why we have a government and why, particularly from the perspective of us, the voters, why that isn't working out as well as it could do. The second series, we'll look at why the system of government doesn't work as well as it could do from the perspective of someone in that system. First, someone trying to get elected as an MP and then someone trying to do their best as an MP. The third series will explore some of the ways in which we could think about tweaking the system, some of the ways in which we could make things work a little better. I hope that you will find it interesting and I hope that it will start you thinking in different ways. And perhaps it will start you listening to the news in a different way and help you to understand why some things happen and why some things don't happen in the ways that they do or don't. And most of all, I hope that it will start you thinking about ways in which we can make things better. Because although we have some good ideas to share with you, building on some of the best ideas around, this is no time for pretending that there is an easy solution to everything. You may have a great idea which you can share with everyone, because although we've brought together some of the best thinking from some of the best thinkers, nobody is as clever as everybody. The collective thinking of all of us together has the potential to be even more powerful than the best thinking of any individual especially if that collective thinking is informed by a proper understanding of what the problems are. So I also hope that you will follow through to make sure that you understand the problems with our systems of government, to make sure that you understand why they are problems, and to make sure that you understand what problems are caused by those problems. And then building on that understanding we can all find some causes to rally around, some new ideas and some of the best old ideas to rally around, not just pointing at problems in order to rail against them. So next time on Taking the Party Out of Politics, next time we will start at the beginning, why we have a government. For now, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, perhaps you can tell your friends and perhaps you could also take a moment to give us a rating wherever you found us. That not only helps other people to find us, it also just really makes us feel useful. That would be great. Thank you.